0: Last Sunday, we took a look at the darkest hours that Jesus had to face during his final week here on earth. He faced the darkness of deception, the darkness of betrayal, the darkness of injustice, the darkness of suffering physically, and finally the darkness of death itself. And that's where we left Jesus last Sunday in the darkness of the tomb. It sure seemed like defeat doesn't seem like it can get any darker, but remember that was Friday, and Sunday's coming. It was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that took the body of Jesus and laid it in a brand new tomb, and some of the women that traveled with Jesus would note the place and make plans to return after the Sabbath with spices and perfume to anoint the body, but that was Friday, and Sunday's coming. A large stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb to keep everyone out, to keep the body from being stolen. But that was Friday, and Sunday's coming. Friday was a day of darkness and bad news for the followers of Jesus, but that was Friday. and Sunday's coming. And guess what? Sunday's here. And it makes all the difference in the world. So this morning we're going to the empty tomb and experience history's brightest morning. But let me make about three observations. First of all, it's amazing how thorough the enemies of Jesus were in His death. In most cases, if they wanted to hasten the death of someone on a cross, they would break the legs, and that way they couldn't push up with their legs to help them breathe, and so they would die from asphyxia, not being able to get enough oxygen. But John 19, verses 32 and 33 tells us the Roman soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men that were crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead. And so they did not break his legs, which fulfilled the prophecy. Not a bone of his body would be broken. But even then, just to make sure he was dead, they still thrust a spear into his side, causing both the blood and the water to gush out. In other words, they made sure Jesus was dead. But secondly, it's interesting to me that as you read through the Gospel accounts, Jesus told His followers some 20 times that He had to die, but that He would rise from the dead. And yet the only ones that seemed to get that were His enemies. Matthew 27, 62-64 says... The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate secured and sealed the tomb and posted a guard they made sure he was buried in a sealed, secure tomb. The enemies got it, even though his disciples didn't. But thirdly, even after it became obvious the guards had scattered, the seal had been broken, the stone rolled away, the tomb was empty, still most of Jesus' followers were slow to believe. So in John 20, verses 1 and 2, It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, not he's risen, but they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and John run to the tomb, and John 20, verse 9 says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. The tomb is empty and they still don't get it. Mary Magdalene comes back to the tomb. When she looks inside, she sees two angels. The angels ask her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they laid him. She doesn't get it. Luke 24, verses 22 and 23 Two men, two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. They encounter Jesus, but at the time they don't recognize him. And they're perplexed because of the report they heard that some of the women went to the tomb. They didn't find the body of Jesus. They said they had seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. And they don't get it. The disciples, John chapter 20, verse 19, are huddled in fear in the upper room. They had the doors locked for fear of the Jews, still doubting the report of the women. And then even after Jesus had appeared to some of the disciples, but Thomas wasn't with them, they told Thomas they had seen the risen Lord, and what did Thomas say? Well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So the enemies of Jesus seemed to understand the prediction that Jesus would rise again on the third day, but his own disciples didn't. But once they were convinced Jesus was alive, not only did they believe, they were willing to die for him. Acts 1 verse 3 says, After his suffering, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And we could spend all day looking at the overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but the simple fact is the tomb is empty and still is. Lee Strobel, if you're familiar with his books, particularly the one, The Case for Christ, a movie was made based on that book. In that book, The Case for Christ, he talks about Sir Lionel Lacou, the brilliant and savvy attorney whose astounding 245 consecutive murder acquittals earned him a place in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most successful lawyer. He was knighted twice by Queen Elizabeth And this former justice and diplomat subjected the historical facts about the resurrection to his own rigorous analysis for several years before declaring this. I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. And what did Lee Strobel himself try to do? Who wrote the book? An award-winning journalist who just couldn't come to the faith that his wife had in the Lord decided to disprove Christianity and ask a Christian man, what strategy should I use? And the Christian man said, our faith stands or falls upon the resurrection of Jesus. If you can disprove it, you can disprove it all. And he tried. And he couldn't do it. And now, he belongs to the Lord. Let me give you two simple reasons for the resurrection. The first is this. The resurrection gives Jesus unparalleled credibility. I mean, what is it that makes Jesus different from all the other great teachers and leaders that have ever lived? It's the resurrection. There is only one empty tomb. And that's why Acts 4.12 says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Because there's no one like Jesus, never has been, never will be. He's the one and only Son of the living God. You see, our faith does not rest on the teachings of Jesus or on the miracles of Jesus or the peace that we have from knowing Jesus or even the fact Christianity works. Our faith isn't even based on the death of Jesus No, the heart and soul of our faith, the foundation of everything we believe as Christians, rises and falls on one single event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And no other teacher or preacher or prophet or self-proclaimed Messiah can claim that. Muhammad is dead. Buddha is dead. Joseph Smith is dead. David Koresh is dead. Is dead. Sun, young, moon is dead. Only Jesus is alive. Can anybody say amen to that? Yeah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Roger Storm said, the resurrection of Jesus is the autograph of his authenticity. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the tomb is empty, and the resurrection gives Jesus unparalleled credibility. There is no one like him anywhere, any place, anytime. And so it's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. God sets Jesus apart historically, universally, and eternally by raising Him from the dead. Jesus is the singular, spectacular Son of the living God. He is the only one verified, qualified, and signified by God the Father, the Creator of all things, as Savior of the whole world. And the empty tomb bears the signature of the very finger of God, saying to the world, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the name that's above every name. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He's the one of whom it was said at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the resurrection gives Jesus unparalleled credibility. But secondly, it also gives us unparalleled hope. Unparalleled hope. Think about the people in the account. Mary Magdalene, a woman that Jesus had cast seven demons out of, she said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him. Peter, the one who denied the Lord three times to a young maiden around a fire. Thomas. The one who doubted the accounts of the others that Jesus was alive, they'd all put their hopes in him, and now their hopes had died when when they saw Jesus die. But then something happened. The sound of an earthquake, a stone rolled away by an angel who sat upon it who made the announcement, he's not here, he's risen just as he said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And now Mary won't let go of him. And the two disciples on the road to Emmaus run back to town to share the good news. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Peter jumps out of a boat and swims to shore just to get to Jesus. That first Sunday was so good because the preceding Friday had been so bad. The dead body of Jesus had been placed in a borrowed tomb. The enemies of Christ had seemed to win. They were raising a toast to the fact that he was gone, his life was over, his tongue was silenced, his miracles were finished, his disciples had vanished. There was something about that Friday and Saturday. A solemnness, a sadness, a day without courage and without hope. And unfortunately, many people are still living their lives without that hope today. I don't remember a time in recent history when there was a bigger need for hope than there is today for something that would breathe new life into the human spirit so many people find themselves worse off than ever before so many people find themselves in circumstances that they never would have predicted with their marriages threatened and their finances in a mess and a nation that is facing a meltdown morally And financially, globally, it's the same. And no one ever wants to go through a season of hard times or significant challenges that stretch you to the very last fiber of your faith. But those times do have a way of making you step back and ask, what am I really counting on? What am I building my life and my future on that is solid enough and strong enough to help me make it through? And you see, that's what makes this message so timely, because today we gather to remember the only one that is able to sustain us through anything and everything, and it's the hope of the resurrection, and that's a living hope. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. A living hope is what will get us through. And that's based on the resurrection of Jesus. Folks, people haven't gathered on this day for over 2,000 years to say, The stock market has risen. General Motors has risen. The value of my home has risen. My 401k has risen. No. There's only one thing that's been the sustaining hope that's held people across every continent and culture together for two millennia in the face of unprecedented difficult times of pain and poverty and disease and hardship and even death itself. And that one thing is this. Jesus has risen. And John Ortberg, he tells about being in a debate held on the campus of Stanford University where his opponent said, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. That was a metaphor that the early church contrived to continue the hope they had while he lived. The idea of resurrection was a metaphor, a symbol, but it didn't really happen. (laughs) Listen, Christians didn't form the world's first community to include Jews and non-Jews and Greeks and slaves and free men and women and rich and poor and break down every ethnic, social, cultural, and economic barrier based on a metaphorical resurrection. They didn't willingly give up land, property, possessions, reputation, and personal safety for a symbol. They didn't voluntarily go to their death by the thousands based on a promise that they would receive a metaphorical resurrection and live in a metaphorical heaven. No, they did it because they knew and believed not in a metaphorical, mythical, or symbolic Savior, but rather in a very real physical Savior named Jesus who rose from the dead and walked with them and ate with them. They saw Him and they touched Him. And one by one they became convinced He's alive. He's alive. He's risen from the dead just as He said. And there's only one explanation that accounts for the transformation of an impoverished, confused, frightened little group of people into a courageous, emboldened community that would sacrifice everything including their own lives, to turn a world right side up. And that is they believe their own eyes and embrace the reality of the resurrection. This Jesus, their teacher, their master, who they had seen die on a cruel Roman cross, whose body they had witnessed being placed in a borrowed tomb that was sealed and secured by a Roman soldier's He did what He said He would do. He was who He said He was. The Lord is risen. He's risen from the grave and He's Lord just as He said. Amen? So the resurrection gives us unparalleled hope. So what does that mean to us? Three simple truths. Very quickly, number one, it means our past can be forgiven. Larry made a great point of that in our call to worship. Our sins can be forgiven. How many of you have ever done anything in the past that you think you can't be forgiven for? You can be. Remember Peter? Denied the Lord three times after the resurrection. The angel said to the women, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's risen. He'll go ahead of you. You'll see him in Galilee. Even after his three denials, the Lord still wanted Peter. And listen, nothing that you have ever done is beyond God's ability to cleanse. Nothing you've ever done is beyond His ability to forgive. Because Jesus shed His blood on the cross, there is power in that blood, and He has risen from the dead. Our past can be forgiven. Don't you ever doubt that. Secondly, our future is secure. A lot of scary stuff going on in the world right now. But Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You may be fine today, but what does the future look like for you? Well, nobody knows except the Lord. You know, there's a better than average chance that you will die someday. (laughs) Better than average. Does that make you nervous? It shouldn't. Because if you're a Christian, you won't die. Oh, yeah, your physical body will. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. As a Christian, you won't die. Your body will. But you are not your body. It's just what you live in. So our future is secure. Because of the resurrection, your future is secure. Your future is bright. It means the best is yet to come. Your best life is not right now. It is still to come. Sir Winston Churchill died, and he had already planned his funeral ahead of time. And at the service, after the eulogy, a bugler high up in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral began to play taps. The universal signal that the day is done, the night has come. And there was silence after that. Then, another bugler on the far side of the dome began to play Reveille. The song played to signal, it's time to get up, a new day has dawned. And that's the way it is. When we die in Christ, we still live. I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't promise a life without problems, but he did promise an incredibly happy ending. So our past can be forgiven, our future is secure, and one more, the tomb is still empty. It's still empty. I have been there for myself and I have seen it. The tomb is empty. A man by the name of Dr. Siemens While visiting in Africa, ask a tribal chief that had been a Muslim why he became a Christian. And this former Muslim African chief said, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions and you didn't know which way to go. There at the fork in the road were two men, one dead, the other alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Well, that's good thinking. And that's why the empty tomb is the game changer. Makes all the difference in the world. Because you see, the resurrection gives Jesus unparalleled credibility. And it gives us unparalleled hope. So who are you going to ask for directions? The dead man or the living man who is Christ, the son of the living God? The angel said, he's not here. He is risen Just as he said and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you need to accept the risen Lord today and be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed, he can do it, but he's the only one that can. He's the only one you can come to. And the resurrection is the proof that he can do it. Come to Christ today. You can meet me down front as we stand.